When Messiaen was once asked um, who he was, he answered, musician, that is my profession. Rhythmist, that is my speciality. And ornithologist, that is my passion. And ornithology is my passion too. And whilst not an expert on Messiaen and his music, what I'm hoping to do this evening is to tell you something about birds that relate uh, to a lesser or greater extent with Messiaen um, and hopefully give you some new information about the biology of birds. And we're going to start our journey this evening with the theme of daytime and look at how birds actually acquire the songs that so inspired Messiaen. We're going to start just at the beginning of the Second World War with this character, Jürgen Nikolai, who I met just a few years before he finally died. Um, and Nikolai had been enlisted into the German army at the beginning of the Second World War. Didn't last long. He was shot and wounded, spent a lot of time in hospital. No sooner was he uh, regarded as fit and well, he was sent back to the front and was captured and spent the rest of the war, in fact, up until 1947 in a prisoner of war camp. He'd been brought up in an, an environment in Germany in which birds featured very largely captive birds. People in Germany loved the sound of captive songbirds. And I guess all those uh, years that he was in prison, um, he thought a lot about um, bird keeping and his interest in ornithology when he'd been a youth. And almost the first week or so that he came out of prison, he saw an advert uh, for some young bullfinches for sale. He bought them knowing that the bullfinch was regarded as one of the finest songsters. And knowing also that in the Vogelsberg region of Germany, probably from the 1500s, but certainly from the 1850s in a big way, um, foresters had taken young bullfinches from the nest and trained them to sing. And that wasn't that uncommon. But if you hear the bullfinch's song, if I can just get this to go. This is the bullfinch in full flow. You'll be stunned. This is the bullfinch's song. Pretty overwhelming, eh? And uh, I think even Messiaen would be struggling to make something out of that. What's absolutely remarkable is the bird whose song is described as being a bit like a squeaky wheelbarrow actually turns out to be the, the best songster you could ever imagine. So much so that people produced entire books of music to train bullfinches to whistle particular tunes. You could either whistle to them yourself or you, if you were a flageolet player, you could play these tunes. I had a PhD student whose mum was a flageolet player and uh, much to her discomfort, I made her play the whole of this book so I could record them. And actually, when I thought about it, these tunes are actually pretty complicated and I ended up feeling that um, this book of bullfinch tunes was probably a scam. You know, somebody produces a book saying, train your bullfinch to sing all these tunes and your life will be, never be the same again. But in fact, bullfinches were pretty good at learning tunes, but not quite as complex or as intricate as that. And if a forester was successful in training a bullfinch to, to whistle three 
usually German folk tunes, or occasionally when they knew there was a British market, they got them to sing God Save the Queen or King. Um, they would sell for a huge amount of money, and people ended up giving them away as gifts. Queen Victoria was giving a, given a whistling or piping bullfinch, and Tsar of Russia was given one, and even the pre-Raphaelite supermodel uh, Lizzie Siddle had one. And Jürgen Nikolai was interested in what it was about bullfinches that made them uh, such good whistlers of artificial tunes. Now, what I'm going to play you first is a German forester. And Nikolai was very lucky because he, his PhD, which he did under Conrad Lorenz, coincided with the last of these foresters dying out. After about 1970, there were none left. So this is pretty unique stuff. And so this is the forester whistling as part of his training for a bullfinch. This is the bullfinch. Much better. <laughs> and also, as you probably notice, transposes the tune up a semitone. They always do that. And the really remarkable thing that Nikolai discovered was that the bullfinch seems to have an almost innate sense of how the tune should go. It filters out all the foresters' breathy whistles and stuff and makes it better. And when I first read about this, and I've kept bullfinches and I've had whistling bullfinches, um, I used to think, God, it would be pretty tedious having to listen to that wretched bullfinch sing that bloody German folk tune over and over again but not at all. There's something additional about bullfinches that makes this uh, even more special. Uh, I've got to see if I can get this video to work now. There we go. So this is Jürgen with a bullfinch, which is halfway through its training. So it hasn't perfected its tunes yet. Makes mistake, goes back. And the really remarkable thing about this is it's almost the same as a child learning uh, a nursery rhyme. And what these bullfinches do, you can see that there's a fantastically close bond between the owner. The bullfinch is actually imprinted here onto Jürgen Nikolai. And if you had a bullfinch, it would become imprinted on you as well. So there's this fantastic relationship. He said it was a bit like owning a dog. His, some of his pet bullfinches knew when he was going out. They noticed when he was putting his coat on. They would take, the male would take a crop full of food and wait till he came back so that they could courtship feed him into his fingers uh, on his return. Very close. And that's one of the things that makes these birds absolutely magical. And so on and so on. Okay, so we're going to move on. Now, bullfinches aren't unique in learning their songs, all our common uh, British birds, or lots of common British birds, um, have to learn their song. There's a genetic template, but the, the uh, structure of the song and the phrasing is all learnt. But there's clearly something very special 
about bullfinches because people kept these birds as well in captivity, but none of them came close to the bullfinch in terms of the sophistication with which they learnt and performed their tunes. And I think the answer to why bullfinches are specialists, what I'll call connectivity, and it's about connectivity between the bird's brain and its body. Bullfinch is probably one of the most monogamous birds, certainly in Britain. If you have them in your garden, you'll see that they're almost invariably in pairs. That's on its own, it's not enough to tell you that monogamous. You have to look at a bit of bullfinch anatomy. And uh, this is a bit X-rated, but uh, here we go. Bullfinches have tiny testes. That scheme on the left is kind of how big the bullfinch's testes are, those white things. Um, inside its abdomen, and this would be, a, uh, this is a scheme of something like a house sparrow and most other birds. So bullfinch testes are absolutely tiny. They also have really weird sperm. This is a bullfinch sperm. This is the best bullfinch sperm I've ever seen. Most of them are rubbish. And this is a house sparrow sperm. And in fact, most songbird sperm look like this. That combination of tiny testes and weird sperm, very variable sperm, is a sure sign of monogamy. And that's because the female bullfinch is so faithful, she never mates with anybody else, in contrast to most other birds that you have in your garden. So the male doesn't have to produce fantastic sperm. So I always liken it to, um, if you were a bullfinch and you had to get from here to John O'Groats, it wouldn't matter if you were driving a Trabant. But if it was a race because you were competing with others, you'd need a Porsche like this house sparrow sperm. Being very monogamous and staying with your partner all year round takes a lot of cognitive ability. You have to be able to anticipate what your partner's going to do. Uh, you know, when do I have to do the washing up? When do I have to do the ironing? And all that kind of malarkey. And what I think has happened is the bullfinch has a relatively large brain. And recent research shows that in uh, lots of clever birds like corvids that do um, make tools and so on, and primates, the density of neurons in the brain is exceptionally high. And we're in the process of, of looking at this. And what I feel has happened with that song learning is that the foresters and people like Jürgen Nikolai have co-opted all that cognitive ability and taken it away from strict monogamy and used it for this fantastic song learning ability. So that's a little introduction to how birds acquire their song. Now we move back to Messiaen's observations of birds in the daytime with two scenes, the blazing hot sunshine of Provence and a river scene on the banks of the Charente and the Charenton. 